Plugged In podcast, where we will have honest, courageous, and fun conversations about how women are plugging into climate, energy, and sustainable solutions for the planet. I am your host, Megan Bennett, and on this podcast, I will be giving women who are doing the vital work of saving our planet a platform to share their stories, their ideas, and their dreams for a better future. And I hope these conversations will inspire us all to plug into our personal missions and expand what we think is possible for our families, our communities, our work, and ultimately our planet, starting today. Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast. Today on Plugged In, I speak to Reagan Bond. Reagan is super bright, thoughtful, and a trusted voice on energy efficiency in Canada. She is a principal consultant with Dunsky Consulting, a trustee on the board of the Affordability Fund Trust in Ontario, and a board member for the Association of Energy Services Professionals, AESP. She is super committed to working on issues that support the clean energy transition, which is essentially how we move to a low-carbon energy future through a mix of technology, investment, business strategies, and policy that promotes clean, renewable energy, as well as uptake of energy-efficient solutions. I sat down with Reagan at the Dunsky offices in beautiful Liberty Village in Toronto, and we explored within this context of the clean energy transition, how the rules, programs, and opportunities are changing, how we need to move beyond switching out light bulbs and look to renewables, energy storage, fuel switching, electric vehicles, and demand response to start to move the needle even further. I layer in some questions on equity, diversity, gender, and leadership. And on a personal front, I ask Reagan about mentoring and coaching and what keeps her focused and passionate about working on these issues. It was a real pleasure chatting with Reagan, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning. Good morning. Reagan, welcome to the Plugged In Podcast. Thank you. So glad to have you here. You have had a pretty impressive and interesting career from my perspective, um, starting in a small consulting agency, working at the Ontario Power Authority, and then VP of Conservation and Demand Management with Electra, one of Canada's largest municipally owned electricity distributors. And now you are a principal consultant at Dunsky Consulting, definitely a leading firm working on DSM and energy management issues across North America. So to start us off, I'd love to hear from you. What inspired you originally to get into the energy efficiency space? Sure. So I think it was a bit of a journey. I, you know, I would say back in high school and going to university, did I know I'd be working in the energy efficiency field? Absolutely not. So, um, you know, in general, I, I view careers and my life, I suppose, not as this linear, I have this idea, I always wanted to be X or do Y, um, but it's been a, a series of uh, choices and interests and timing. And so when I was in high school, I loved all the sciences, um, but I'm kind of a generalist at heart. And so when I went to university, uh, I studied environmental science. And I really like that because it is a global view of things. It's an important field. I got to take a lot of different sciences, but also economics and philosophy. And as I continued to study in environmental science and went on to do a master's degree in environmental 
science, I really got interested in energy specifically because I really feel that when you look in the environmental space that a lot of the challenges we have, if you distill them down, the root issue or challenge is energy related. So I became increasingly interested in energy. And so then when I was looking, you know, after I graduated and had to find a job, um, I did end up in consulting to begin with in an environmental energy firm. Um, and I think how I ended up more in the energy efficiency space is also a function of timing. So in the early 2000s, uh, the policy environment in Ontario, uh, electricity deregulated, and while there had been a 10-year sort of gap in energy efficiency programming after Ontario Hydro split up, um, the provincial government at the time uh, reinstigated energy efficiency funding for utilities in the early 2000s, and so you know, it's sort of a combination of interest and timing and that I just got more and more involved in energy efficiency and, and love it. Fabulous. Tell me about your role as a principal consultant now at Dunsky. Yeah, so it's great. It's really exciting. Um, you know, I, as you said, I've worked a, a number of different places and um, I was really interested in joining Dunsky for a number of reasons. One, as you mentioned, it, you know, we are a leading firm, well-recognized uh, both in Canada and the U.S. And what I was really excited about is the opportunity to build upon my energy efficiency expertise and expand into other areas of the clean energy transition. So Dunsky, we've been around for 15 years and you know, we're founded on energy efficiency. Um, however, we've expanded and now have a significant renewables and as well as a clean mobility services. So, um, so me as a principal consultant, I you know, have the great pleasure of being able to work on a lot of our projects. And so my role is a combination of a few things. So I do some business development, so I help um, identify new projects and, and get us um, um, you know, working with new clients and responding to RFPs and um, building the business. Um, and then I also either manage or, or am project director on some of our projects. So, um, and then I also help with some of the internal leadership in the company. So I get to touch a lot of different things, which I love. Um, and I get to work in a lot of different provinces and into the states and on all sorts of issues. You wrote something recently in a blog for mm -hmm. Quest Canada that really grabbed me and uh, got my attention, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I want to dig into it today um, on the episode. You said that you have found energy efficiency work to be meaningful, impactful, rewarding, and until recently, boring. So I'm curious, tell me more. What, <laughs> where did that come from and what is exciting you today about energy efficiency? Yes, and uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm so glad you read that and uh, you know, maybe intentionally was trying to be a little bit provocative and, and grab people's attention, um, but it is true. So I think, you know, energy efficiency is so important. Um, it is really challenging. So when I said it's boring, it's not that it's not hard. It is incredibly hard to get people to switch um, what they do on a daily basis, whether it's the lighting they use, the equipment they use, how they you know um, make their way through the city um, to do things with less environmental impact. So change is hard. So definitely energy efficiency and it's not sexy and um, it's invisible. People can't see these savings necessarily. So um, it's definitely challenging. I think where I said it was boring is because when it comes down to it, most of the programs for the last 20 years have been really about don't buy equipment A, buy equipment B. You know, trying to get someone to buy an Energy Star air conditioner instead of a non-Energy Star. Buy this CFL or LED instead of an incandescent. It's, so it is challenging, but it's not that complex, if that makes sense. Um, so where I think things are interesting now is the whole 
it's all becoming kind of fuzzy and murky. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on, what we say behind the meter in the electricity business. So at, on the customer side of it, where we have not just energy efficiency, but we have renewables and we have batteries and we have a bunch of other resources and the customers really involved or can be involved in helping the whole system become more sustainable. And so um, even what we consider as demand side management or energy efficiency, that definition is changing a bit. And I think going beyond the traditional light bulb switch outs to saying, well, is it fuel switching? Is it beneficial electrification? Is it renewables? Is it storage? All of these things are part of the clean energy transition. So to me, it's, it's a little fuzzy and the rules are changing. I find that exciting and interesting because Beneficial electrification. Mm -hmm. Tell us more. What I heard about this term this year, yeah. and now it is everywhere. <laughs> it is everywhere. It's also called like strategic electrification. Um, it, absolutely. So it's, it is definitely one of the buzzwords in our industry. And, um, and increasingly, when I go to conferences, it's talked about more and more. Um, so I think there is no universal definition. However, um, I'm seeing a lot of alignment around uh, beneficial electrification is where you essentially are switching, fuel switching and end use. So changing from a generally fossil fueled source to electricity, but in a way that um, benefits the electricity system, benefits the rate payer, so it's cheaper for the customer, good for the electricity system, and good for the environment. Uh, there can be some differences in terms of whether all three have to be positive or whether they all have to be at least neutral. So there's a little debate on that. Um, but I think broadly speaking, that's what it is. So looking particularly in areas where um, you could fuel switch, so I mean, EVs are a good example. So um, switching off gasoline, cars onto electric vehicles um, can be good for ratepayer or for customers because the total cost of ownership of an EV is lower. Clearly it's good for the environment. And then if it's done properly through managed charging, it can be beneficial for the grid where you're building load at off-peak periods and then potentially also offering um, a two-way source of energy storage through the electric vehicles themselves. Are there going to be any benefits from beneficial elect electrification um, on issues of equity or social justice or diversity, do you think? I hope so. Yeah. I hope so, and I think that's a challenge because okay. I think that is um, another lens through which we need to look at things. So for example, right now, one of the exciting projects I'm working on um, is the City of Toronto has hired Dunsky to develop their electric vehicle strategy. So we've been working with them to, um, they've been doing some work for a number of years, but to figure out how do they uh, get more electric vehicles in the City of Toronto, and this is part of their Transform TO climate plan, and they've got very aggressive goals. One of the things the city has asked us to do specifically is look at the equity impacts or uh, influences in these different policy decisions. Because what you don't want to do is have some perverse effects where, um, you know, and I think particularly with like electric vehicles, they can be viewed as something which is much more geared towards middle to upper income people and may not be accessible to all um, demographics and socioeconomic groups. So I think that is a challenge. I mean, I think the environmental benefits are more broadly seen, but yes, I think, so I think there are opportunities, but there are also challenges. Fair enough, yeah, something to keep our eyes on. Absolutely. Um, 
You are a board member mm -hmm. also um, for the Affordability Fund Trust and uh, have been supportive and passionate from what I've seen for pushing the envelope and being innovative. I'm just curious what you've learned from being on that board and, and maybe tell us a little bit about sure. what the Affordability Fund Trust is all about. Yeah, it's a really unique um, board that I had the pleasure of serving on. So the Affordability Fund Trust was set up in around 2017 um, by the government of Ontario and they had $100 million that they endowed into a trust fund um, at which the purpose of this is to acknowledge that there can be a gap where we have uh, conservation programs in Ontario, energy efficiency, et cetera. But generally speaking, um, they're not completely free. So there might be rebates or discounts on products or services, but generally the, the customer does need to put in some of their own money. Um, there is low-income programs for income-qualified customers, which tend to be free. So the government recognized there's a little bit of this gap. So there, there's there's many people in the province who may not qualify as income eligible, so they may not be eligible for the low-income program, but they may still be struggling to participate in these energy efficiency programs. So the government set up the affordability fund um, for this purpose. And so our mandate, and so there's five, I'm one of five trustees, uh, voting trustee members that are accountable for administering this trust fund to our beneficiaries. And the beneficiaries are defined as Ontarians who are not eligible for the low income program, but are struggling to undertake conservation measures. And so it's, it's fascinating from a couple perspectives. It's great. It's, you know, I think in addition to things like beneficial electrification, as you mentioned, I think I'm also seeing an increased focus in our industry on moderate income um, and, and, and identifying that that is a segment of our population that needs assistance. So it's interesting from that perspective. It's also interesting because of the governance model where we are an independent trust. So um, we are completely arm's length from the government um, and we are fiduciary duty is to the beneficiaries. It's, it's fascinating from a governance perspective. Um, the other thing that's been great for me, so the trustees, uh, there's three of us that come from the electricity sector, kind of from utilities, um, and then there's two people from the community sector, so from nonprofit community agencies. And so it's been really great for, I think, the five of us to learn from each other and, and realize, you know, if we're really gonna make a difference, it's about, um, leveraging both of our strengths. So, you know, we understand the electricity sector and some of the challenges, but then um, we're really taking this broader view about energy affordability is not just about your bill, but it's, a, it's about affordability. So it's about the broader wellness impacts for your life. And so ultimately what we wanna do, I mean, my vision is in a perfect world, energy affordability does not negatively impact anyone's life in Ontario. You know, that no one's health and wellness and uh, happiness is impaired by their ability to afford energy. So that's a pretty lofty goal, but you know we're really trying to take that broader picture about if we can help with energy affordability, what else can they do in their life? And so it's really fascinating, and uh, and, and we're still and we're working really hard to distribute these dollars uh, yep. the best we can. Yeah, yeah. Big vision. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Are there are there other jurisdictions? Um, you know, I know you've worked focusing in Ontario issues um, mm -hmm. for the majority of your career. Now at Dunsky, as you're looking out into other jurisdictions south of the border, curious about what's catching your eye from on affordability yep. programs or, or, other or, or other areas? What's well, certainly with the beneficial electrification, somewhere I've been looking a lot is Tennessee. So the Tennessee Valley Authority, I think, has been one of the 
leaders in this space at, in the transitioning to uh, beneficial electrification. Um, so they, they've transitioned a lot of their energy efficiency portfolio uh, into BE programs. And so that's definitely an, a jurisdiction that I keep my eye on. I think California and Arizona are always fascinating, interesting places to follow. Um, certainly, you know, with the penetration of renewables that just, they have such different challenges on the load side because of the duck curve and they've got this huge penetration of renewables that um, they have things like in Arizona, like reverse DR where they're doing load growth during the day because they actually need people to take their, their load. Um, and then, and then in the energy efficiency space in California, they've also, there's been a structural change where the utilities are now mandated to outsource. I think it's about 60% of their portfolios to third parties. And there's, there's some real structural changes going on. Uh, so yeah, it's been really great. Um, as you said, I've been focused on Ontario and it's it's been great to kind of, I feel like poke my head up and, and, and right now I'm working all across Canada as well. Um, you know, we're doing, um, uh, with Summerhill, we're, we're working on, on, on a project in the Yukon for demand response, which is also interesting. Um, as, and so focusing on uh, applying these learnings, um, especially in something like demand response, which has been typically uh, air conditioning summer focused resource and that's where a lot of the experience in our industry is but looking at how winter peaking utilities and we work with a lot in Canada including BC and New Brunswick you know how can those utilities leverage things like demand response for winter peaking neat yeah a question that I asked Fatima I'd like to ask you as well as a woman mm -hmm. and as a thought leader in the energy management sector in 2019 what conversations do we need to be having around gender, diversity, leadership? What questions do we need to be asking in our companies, in our communities, in our sector, and even the society at large? Ooh, that's a good question. I think, I think we are at a good, I like where the conversation's going. I like that we're having the conversation. I think there's a risk that we think we've done enough and we don't have to keep pursuing this as an issue and this being uh, gender equality and pay equality and, and diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Um, so I don't think we're even close to being there yet. So I think we do need to have that conversation continually. I think one of the things that I find fascinating and I know it's becoming more common to talk about in companies is unconscious bias and really trying to understand you have these inherent um, almost systemic structural challenges or, or issues that are biasing the system. And we all have them, women and men. Um, and then figuring out how do we try to, A, become aware and then adapt the system. And so, you know, uh, we, we've been talking about this even within Densky, you know, how do we change, say, our recruiting process, like, to attract more women? So, you know, if we have a job opening and we get... 200 applications and 150 are from men. I'm making these numbers up, but that's suggesting that, that the, there's something that we can do to change and how do we recruit more women? Is it about how we word the job applications? Um, is it about where we advertise them? Is there other things we can be doing to encourage um, more qualified? Because I am confident there is a ton of qualified uh, women out there that can play a big role in this industry, but how do we, yeah, really break down that, that unconscious bias, which then presents itself in processes and systems mm -hmm. that reinforce that. Yeah. Yeah, it's been interesting even at the ASP National Conference, starting to see 
sessions on Absolutely. women and energy and diversity and they're packed sessions. There's yep. a lot of interest, a lot of conversation, a lot of debate. Um, Absolutely. And yeah. I think, I, you know, one of the, there's, there's so many things to talk about there. I think at, at the ASP conferences, there's been a number of sessions about like leadership, women in leadership specifically, because I think there's several problems we're trying to attack at once, which is mm -hmm. get the overall representation, um, you know, how our overall industry will be more representative of the population at large, but then also at all levels. And so making sure that the women are not just en masse represented, um, but that at the leadership levels within the respective organizations. And I think that's where, you know, I personally have done a lot of coaching with people that I've worked with in the past and mentored young women. And um, it's not good to speak in generalities, but there tends to be some general challenges that, that you know, on, on in general, women find it harder to negotiate for raises. They find it harder to ask for promotions. They, you know, there are um, a lot of opportunities, which some of these sessions, you know, that has come up where, you know, I honestly, as somebody who's, who's been successful, I feel this responsibility to help people that are coming up behind me yeah. any way I can. Yeah. How about those that have helped you? Have you had coaches or mentors throughout your career and how, how have they guided you or, or has yeah. that not been part of your experience? I'm curious. Yeah, I, I have. I've had, um, I've had no single one mentor all the way through. I've been lucky that I've learned, um, particularly, you know, in the different places I've worked, I've had lots of um, different bosses and, and mentors and I've, I've learned great things from all of them. Um, yeah, I would say early on in sort of my 20s, um, I definitely, I had, uh, I worked for somebody that really just believed in me right from the beginning and um, put me forward for things and was, you know, looking back, they were a champion of mine and a, a, a sort of sponsor is probably the way to word it. And yeah, and they kind of pushed me a little bit out of my comfort zone, but gave me some great skills that I use to this day. And so I think that was really important. And so I think it's really important to have someone who is, um, who challenges you and who will, you know, if you find someone who will sponsor you and, and champion you, but then also push you a bit and not mm -hmm. let you sit in your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Um, switching gears a little bit more to the personal side. Mm -hmm. um, as a busy working mom, I'm curious how you maintain your energy and yeah. motivation to tackle these big, global, <laughs> heavy yeah. topics. Um, do you have any daily practices or sources of inspiration that, that fill you up? I mean, I think, so a couple of things. Yeah, I mean, the daily working busy mom, it is challenging on that front. My advice to everyone has been like, choose your partner wisely. I mean, mm -hmm. honestly, that's the most I can say is that I have an amazing partner who we are um, true partners, you know, and we really uh, work together and so, I could not do what I do in, in my career and, and, and have the freedom I do if I didn't have the partner that I have. Um, and so in terms of staying passionate and having that energy, I think one of the great things about working in the clean energy sector, and one of the reasons I do, is that it's really important for me to work somewhere that I feel I have purpose. And so, and, and you really, when I talk to my son, he's seven years old and I think he might almost understand now what I do as a consultant. It's a little challenging to explain what a consultant does, but he understands broadly that I work in energy and that I'm helping the environment and I'm helping the world be a better place. And so, you know, I'm incredibly proud of what I do. And so I think just 
having that sense of pride and then being able to communicate to your son that you're doing something that you're helping to try to make the world a better place for him mm -hmm. and generations after, that alone keeps me energized. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, day-to-day -day can be challenging, but I, I work for a great company and we have incredible flexibility and, um, you know, work-life balance is a core principle at Dunsky as well. So I think, uh, yeah. Yeah, so important. Um, any favorite reads or podcasts that, uh, that you've been listening to or books on the side of your table that you're taking on your big upcoming vacation? Yeah. Not so much. So um, I'd say my podcasts, I do love uh, Energy Gang, which I know is, is a favorite among many people. And then I was listening to The Interchange for a while as well. Um, so yeah, I definitely am a fan of the green tech media. And I, that's, you know, as far as my daily digest of news source, it's green tech and uh, utility dive. Um, those are my go-to and uh, as compendiums. I am finding one of the funny new balance things in my life I'm trying to uh, figure out is my previous job, I had a very long commute, um, which was not enjoyable, um, but I did have a lot of time to listen to podcasts in the news. And so now I'm in my new job where I have a beautiful less than 10 minute commute. And so my, my listening time has drastically decreased. So I'm trying to figure out where to put that back in my life. But these are good problems to have. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Cool. Any upcoming conferences or events that you're going to be out at? Absolutely. So in a few weeks, we have the AESP Summer Conference, which is in Toronto, which is great. I'm also on the board of AESP, and so we have three conferences a year, and um, we've come to Toronto kind of every other summer, and so it's also great when it's here, because I feel like it's, you know, I'm hosting it almost, and I love seeing people come to our city. So um, I will be on a panel discussion um, moderated by Ursilia at Summer Hill um, on really how communities and utilities can work together in the clean energy transition. So uh, I'm excited about that. It's going to be a great panel. Um, Dunsky, we're also, uh, Jeff Turner, who's one of my colleagues, is going to be facilitating a session on electric vehicles. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to seeing lots of colleagues at that conference this summer. Excellent. Um, and one more question, Reagan. How can people find and follow you? You can follow me on LinkedIn um, as well as on Twitter. I'm not too active on Twitter, I will admit. But <laughs> um, but yes, I, I'm, I post fairly regularly on LinkedIn. So uh, happy to have people follow me there. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your background and your vision for the future. So really happy to have you on the Plugged In Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm having so much fun bringing this to you and I hope you enjoy it as well. Let me know what you think. Share it, rate it, leave a review, reach out. I am on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. All the info can be found at pluggedinpodcast.ca. I am super thankful for all the love and support behind the scenes. Some special call outs to Ursilia Serafini and Summerhill for supporting me with the time to explore and work on this personal project. So appreciated. And finally, to my guests, thank you for being the inspiration. Join me next time on the Plugged In Podcast. <laughs>